You're listening to the Can We Talk podcast, where we're breaking the silence this season. Join us, Kabasiji, yes, she's a Muchiga, and Belinda, also known as Muna Kampala, as we unpack some of Uganda's taboo topics. Tribalism, classism, sexism, the three isms of Uganda. To have a conversation on one of these topics, it's hard to ignore speaking about the others. The interconnected nature of these three isms have created overlapping systems of disadvantage and privilege. So what is tribalism? Does it exist? Is privilege a bad thing? How can one use their privilege to create better systems? In this episode, we have a chat about tribalism, classism, and sexism with Ophelia Kamagisha, a queer feminist human rights lawyer and writer who is interested in building a new future filled with pleasure and true justice. Ophelia lives in Kampala, where she reads, dances, and tweets for the revolution. So, can we talk? Hi everyone, um, welcome back to Can We Talk? Uh, it's been a good week. CG, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, you know. <clears throat> Summer, that's just, that's what's helping me feel good. Just looking to the future the f- of <laughs> warmth in this country. So, yeah. How about yeah. you? Uh, I'm feeling okay. I'm trying to be on my productivity game. We're going, we're going. Mm. Mental health, what, what, yeah. ah, those things. <laughs> but yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh, especially after last week, we had the conversation on relationships, which was really good. Mm-hmm. And now we have another guest because we said we're going to be having more guests for this last half of the season. Um, we have someone I actually admire. Um, I told you, I told when I found out she listens to the podcast, I was just like, oh my God, have I been saying things that make sense? What? <laughs> um, and it's Ophelia. She's a queer human rights lawyer. She's also a feminist. She's very, very involved in dialogue on like um, African feminism as well as she's a writer. So say hi, Ophelia, and I can let you introduce yourself. Welcome to the Can We Talk podcast. Thank you so much. Hi, uh, my name is Ophelia Kemitsha. I am a human rights lawyer by training and a feminist activist by choice. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited to be on a podcast that I've been listening to and really enjoying for some time. And very excited here that you have a whole new host. I feel like I'm, you know, watching a podcast <laughs> grow. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's true, that's true. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to have this conversation um, with you and also with CG, actually, like the three of us. I think it's going to be interesting because we come with different experiences. CG is Ugandan, but she was born Canada, but she was raised very Ugandan still, Um, very aware of Uganda, like Uganda. Well, you can't talk for yourself, baby girl. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, but I feel like um, yeah. the fact 
fact that we're this so this episode we're discussing the isms of Uganda and there are a lot of isms maybe that we won't they will be touched on but we're concentrating on tribalism classism and sexism within Uganda yeah so the fact that we bring different experiences um because also Ophelia being queer I, be, I believe that also brings in another experiences another experience within the discussion mm. um I wanted to start with just going back to basics when when I'm approaching these kinds of discussions, I think it's good to go back to definition, language, because language matters. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these words, we use them without knowing exactly what they are. So tribalism, I'm just using the definitions I found off Google. Um, I think everyone can share if they feel it's different. But tribalism is behavior and attitudes that stem from loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. And then classism is, is it prejudice? Prejudice? Luzungu? How do they say it? Prejudice? <laughs> prejudice. <laughs> okay, that one. Um, you don't owe against... anyone correct English. It's fine. <laughs> that one. Um, against or in favor of people belonging to a particular social class. And then sexism is stereotyping and discrimination typically against women because on the basis of sex. So I want to start off this discussion with CG actually, because she didn't grow up in Uganda, but she has had her own parallels with racism, because we're not discussing racism in this particular episode. But maybe you can let us know what your experience growing up as a Black Ugandan woman in a particularly white community was like for you. Um, so it was definitely difficult. And I know on like other podcasts, I've kind of touched on what I experienced. But in summary, um, my family was the only black family for some time in the place, city town I was born. Um, And so that obviously brought challenges where I be thinking I was born in Uganda, just because of how my parents raised me. (laughs) Um, like they didn't ever tell me that but it was my own thoughts you know children Um, and I would tell people at school like yeah I was born in Uganda and they'd ask me questions like oh do you play with monkeys and you know all the typical stereotypes um, that people who are ignorant say especially as kids Um, and so over some time, I just always had like a conflict with my identity and like, where do I fit in exactly? And it it, it definitely damaged my self-esteem and to the point that I'm still, I know it's now I'm recovering through and healing through the damages, honestly, that it did to my spirit and self-esteem. Um, but it, what's interesting is even though, you know, I wasn't born in Uganda because of the Ugandan community. It's like within that community, there was still obvious tribalism things going on. You know, like one time there's this girl, she's in Uganda. um, And we had some fight on Facebook like years ago. And I think I said, something. And she was like, isn't that a Muganda term? And I'm oh, like, because you're Muchiga? Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, we're, okay, I was going to say we're five, but it's like, we're 15. Mm. What is the, why does that even matter? You know, and especially me too, being kind of lost in this country, trying to hold on to an identity, now kind of being pushed from even saying a Luganda term. I was like, this stuff is just silly to me personally, because I, I, 
I don't know the depth of it. I just hear and see the depth or like the effects of it with the Ugandan community who's now in Toronto, you know? Yeah. And I think CJ has also shared with me before also about like um, the Ugandan community here in church, Mm -hmm. how you saw also like the way the groupings are like um, those things that we don't talk about, like, but the tribes from certain areas always have to, maybe they'll, put up events by themselves mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, for you, Ophelia, how have you experienced, have you experienced tribalism or what's your experience with tribalism in Uganda growing up there? Up to now, actually, because growing up may be different from how you're seeing it now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that this discussion is, <laughs> it's interesting that you asked me, Amnyankole woman, to come and speak about tribalism because, um, well, we'll get into that. Mm. But I wanted to start by um, <laughs> chipping in on the definition. Um, so in recent times, there's been this push towards um, just like removing the word tribe from our vocabulary because originally it was really... Of course, it, 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 it like most words, it starts out harmless. It just used to refer to like a division. Yeah, it's like a Latin word. And then later, with, when we come into colonization, um, it's used in a very racially charged manner. Yeah, so like white people um, basically looking at us and thinking these people are savage, they are primitive, and now, you know, that being called tribal. Mm. Yeah, and even now when you see articles by certain white journalists, you can see that those things coming through, eh? referring to... Um, these tribal tensions as if they are so different from you know their own experiences back home um so i think that the term that i usually prefer to use is ethnocentrism and i'm going to explain why um so in uganda i think that we have um this history of colonization like i mentioned so we had different nations what we now call tribes or ethnic groups um, who are living, you know, with each other um, in, in both, you know, like all people with conflict and with um, cooperation and everything. And then we have col- these colonizers come and just lump us together and say, you're now called Uganda. And that's not like um, a peaceful process. That's like a very violent and very deliberate process to create this entity and then manage it um, as the British uh, because I guess God told them or whatever, mm. <laughs> and so you have this, you have this, this, this um, cocktail called Uganda that doesn't mm. really mix very well. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we 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 disagree, sometimes we fight with each other, mm. um, but you know, we are we how many at sixty years now almost we are trying to make it work. Um, And so I think that this discussion about ethnocentrism is, it's, I mean, there's a difference for me between like personal experiences with, with um, stereotyping, with saying like, Banyankole are arrogant, Banyankole men have bad manners, you know, all those things. (laughs) (laughs) And then like the systemic problems. Yeah. I, I feel like that distinction is important because it's one thing for me to meet someone and they say like, you, you know, we are tired of you. 
you know mm-hmm. you're corrupt for mm-hmm. example yeah and for me to take that to heart and walk around saying like baganda don't like me mm-hmm. baganda don't like banyankole based on that experience yeah but it's a different conversation when you think about the structural problems that have kind of led us here yeah. And this is not like a new problem. This is something that has been happening because you see people are st- uh, like mo- most of us are still very much holding on to our identities, our ethnic identities, much more than like our national identity. Yeah, um, yes. I'm always like teasing people about like when you say like you're Uganda, like, do you know what Uganda means? Because for me, it was very much in my adulthood, like now in the last maybe three, four years that I finally said to get an understanding of what Uganda means in, just in terms of like the geography. Yeah. yeah. Like being able to know where Amudat is and where Nakapiripiri exactly is, apart from just using it in my um, anecdotes about like, what about mm. the woman in Nakapiripiri? Like actually seeing it. Um, being able to know, like, this is the direction that you take to go to Busoga, this is the direction that you take to go to Gulu, that's like a very recent thing. So until I was, what, 22, 23, I didn't really understand what it meant. I just knew Ntungamu, which is where my parents come from. Yeah. And that means something. That means that, um, you know, like, you carry it everywhere and you feel the need to defend it all the time. Mm-hmm. But then I think we have to look beyond, like, those personal or um, stereotypical things that happen in every group. Like, yeah. even, you know, you can say, like, I don't know, like, short men are this way, or yeah. tall men okay. are this way, you know? <laughs> like, those those kinds of conversations happen based on whatever experience that you've had with a particular kind. And, and of course, one person doesn't represent the whole. You know, mm-hmm. that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But the, I think that the conversation gets derailed by those kinds of convers- by those kinds of arguments about, like, what your person did to the other. And then we don't think about the ways that certain groups have maintained power or certain groups have enjoyed certain privileges yeah. over others. And so then we, we, we I, like, I feel like it gets lost somewhere along the way, you know? I totally agree on a lot of things you said. And I think you've brought up a lot of important things that we need to touch on. For example, you said, we invited Amunya Kole on here. And I think it's first of mm. all important to recognize that right now this discussion already is not balanced by having the tribes that the three of us come from are in a yes. certain place of privilege. As Amuganda, Amuchiga, Amunyankore, we're coming from yes. in terms we recognize that, but we wanted to first say that we did recognize that, but we invited you on because we knew that you would have certain deeper knowledge in terms of like when you're talking about how colonialism affected this. So it would be an, um, a good discussion, but also in terms of when we're talking about systematic and also personal experiences, the reason I do want to get to the to the systematic, um, what is it called guys Luzungu sometimes fails me I'm so sorry but like the way it's okay (laughs) I think we will have to get to that as well because it shows up even in the classes in like it's it's all Mm. related it trickles down it trickles down but I think why I felt it was important for us to also pinpoint these little passing things that we say is because every joke that is said has some truth to it or it connects to something so I remember mm-hmm. growing up, my parents talked about <laughs> marriage. Mm. My parents having, uh, or like your own parents having their personal reasons why you shouldn't marry a certain tribe right. could be seen as personal. 
But there's a bigger mm. discussion there. There's a reason why they see it that way. Mm-hmm. If I, if, yes. if as a person I'm making a joke that Obanyankole are corrupt, yeah, it's a personal thing and not Obanyankole are corrupt, but, but, but the fact that that joke exists is mm. it's a representation of another discussion that can be had because we don't come up with those things out of a certain, like, out of a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, can I add something? I think that, um, I mean, I'm not saying that those personal interactions don't matter, but I think that you have to look beyond them, mm. you know? Like when, it's, it, like you said, if someone says Banyankole are corrupt, and for me, my first response is no. Like me, I've never stolen anyone's money. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. But it's also true that many Banyankole have had access by virtue of who is in power and have misused that that power, you know? And that you have to interrogate that beyond, like, your personal feelings about, like, you, yourself, you know? So, because I think that then that detracts from, then you go into, like, how much money have I ever stolen? And then you're denying this person who has had this experience and knows, has, like, a list of 20 banyankole who are corrupt. <laughs> you, you understand? Like, it, it, then it becomes, like, this very, like, dishonest conversation where, like, no, some of us are poor. True. But so many of your relatives <laughs> are not. Like, I feel like people just, they, you know, they don't want to acknowledge the, the problems that their own people have, have brought because they are just like trying to defend themselves and they're not being honest about the reality, you know, of what's actually happening to people. Yes. So as a Munyankole who belongs in, let me say, a place of privilege, how do you... I think we can even tie this back to, for example, diaspora wars, right? I feel like diaspora mm. wars are, <laughs> let's bring that up as well, um, are an issue or they stem from classism as well, where it's like, um, how then do you have, I mean, the diaspora, obviously, I mean, a certain class where I'm able to afford certain things that the other class is being denied within my country. And how you said, like being able to tell to be honest with yourself of the reality of the situation, right? But then mm. how do you, how do we have better dialogue be- when it comes to those things? Because for example, diaspora was, you see some people in the diaspora like, oh, let's get involved. And then maybe it's like, no, you're like, why are you saying this? You know, because you're in a, you're already in a place of privilege. You shouldn't be saying anything. Mm. And then if they're not involved, it's like, why are they not involved? You get abandoned. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing with tribe, you know? If Amunyakole yeah. says tribalism exists, it's like, oh, they're just pretending. Why are your people still mm. doing this to us? Or what? So mm. especially as you who's very involved in like dialogue and systematic change, how can the conversation be had? But I think even CG can add on to the whole diaspora thing because she, she has experienced that more than me. Mm. Mm. yeah recent diaspora <laughs> <laughs> um i think that i think that what i found very helpful is really keeping quiet <laughs> and i know that sounds strange yeah. in a conversation about dialogue but i think that sometimes um you know like we speak too fast and like rush to you know to fight and whatever because um like just being able to act, to to realize, like to acknowledge where in the structure you lie, you know, like the reality of the situation is that tomorrow I can walk into a certain office in this Kampala, and if I speak a certain language, I'm going to move into that office differently, mm. you know. It doesn't increase my bank account balance, 
but I'm just navigating life like very differently than many people. Like the truth is that my name appears on on applications, and some people say, and they're like, oh, one of our own, you know. So I think being able to realize where do I stand in this structure, yeah, because for me. Um, when I realize that where I stand in this structure is in a place where currently, you know, not always, but currently, my people are eating, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my people are eating. And that means something. So being able just to acknowledge that. And then not to take everything personally. Like sometimes when the cafe, when the attack is coming, it's not for you as you, Ophelia. Mm. <laughs> it's for this certain group of people who have... Um, really like oppressed people in this country for so long it, it's, it's like how we're always like telling men like shut up about men are trash like we're not t- we're not saying you baby maybe you're nice to your mother but that doesn't <laughs> mean that structurally men are not <laughs> there isn't a problem yeah so first of all like being able to acknowledge the 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 privilege and the access that you have and then also i think that moving forward like being able like truly listening to what people who are frankly oppressed or um, ignored or discriminated are saying like genuinely listening and then figuring out ways to um, in your small tiny way to repair that harm in the way that you can Um, I usually try and make sure that whatever I'm doing I'm like I, I try not to have a panel with five banyankole. <laughs> if we have five banyankole and I'm, I'm number six, I'll be like, yeah, but you guys, perhaps. And I learned this like quite recently from um, a friend of mine, Rosbel Kagume, who says, no, there's too many banyankole on this panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, the reality is that many of us have gotten into school and gotten into public spaces and, you know, we end up being overly visible and forgetting that Uganda is not ankole. Um, they are very different, you know, it's a big, it's a bigger thing than that. So I think that being able to listen, like to truly listen and then to engage with people honestly, because I think that these conversations are honest, are quite dishonest. And sometimes it's not even intentional, like you're just rushing to defend yourself mm. because you feel it's personally attacked. And yet there may be like a bigger problem that we can actually work together to solve um, if we really like pay attention instead of that like rushing to be like oh no um even yesterday i gave money to the poor like yeah (laughs) (laughs) but that's not the point like yeah i think that's what i think that's what i found helpful um silence and yeah being able to allow people to express themselves and then to engage in a way that you know that makes sense of course i'm not saying like people should be able to abuse each other however they want but i think that sometimes that abuse comes from you responding poorly Mm. you know yeah it's interesting as you were um speaking and talking about let's say like four banyankole on a panel and or five however many you said um and not wanting to be the sixth one like wanting to you know mix it up because here like so my mom's banyankole my dad's mochila but like we're the minority you know what i mean so like within the ugandan community Mm. and like this subject too like it's just it's one of those like when you said you just keep silent like i kind of avoided in so many ways because i've heard so many different comments or have felt like an outcast in certain situations because the whole tribal thing um but Mm. luckily you know 
my the gener like our generation and the friends who have either been raised here or born here, Ugandan friends, we like it's not that deep for us. But then there's some where it'll come up or they you know, they'll feel uncomfortable maybe talking about the whole thing with Banyankole in Uganda because I'm around. And I'm just like, guys, like <laughs> Like, why do, why do things have to be so, you know, like, awkward or, and yeah. I get it, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I just. Yeah. Can I just add something very quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the, the thing about ethnocentrism, like what makes it a bit complicated or tribalism in, in, in our context is that it's not, it's not as clear cut as race. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not like white people, black people. Right. Mm. Um, it's a it's quite it's quite complex we have these systems and attitudes and practices and and um all these things that um intersect to create this very complex problem Mm -hmm. so it i mean it's i don't think that it's fair to say necessarily that anyankole have in uganda i i don't know if if that's like a fair what did you say (laughs) thing to say what did you say Sorry, I said like Banyankole have the most privilege in Uganda. Mm. I like. I it's feel Baganda privileged. Straightforward, <laughs> because there is also the fact that Baganda yeah. have. Yes, uh, that's a very good point. That there's a particular privilege that Baganda have had by virtue of having been um like at the central yeah. and of the this language. Uganda if thing. you think about it, yeah? the language is yeah. A lot of um, the, you know, like. The, it's it's complicated. Like there was a time when you know Langis had a lot of privilege in, in Uganda, yeah. way more than other groups. Like there there are all these. It's not like it's not straightforward. It's not like in all situations these people are in charge. Mm-hmm. Because for us, we've had like a more complex history than just like white and black. Mm. And these things are maintained by all kinds of things, marriage ties, and you know it's it's because I think we are like way more. <laughs> mixed into each other like this and this like very specific segregation that happens Mm. so i think whenever you go into one area like one area then you miss the nuance of it because it's not that it's not that straightforward i saw someone explain it in a way like for uganda when you say that it's not straightforward Mm. she explained it in terms of which whichever tribe and i think this happens in kenya too Mm. whichever tribe is closest to power at that time ends up being the more privileged one. So when Idi Amin was in power, Mm. their people were Mm -hmm. more privileged. But the reason why right now it's a bit different is because the current um, tribe has been closer to power for a long time. (laughs) Longer time. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. There's that big focus. Mm. But I wanted to switch the conversation. When you talk of, um, you said something in the beginning that I actually want to go back to. You said realizing like uganda and then you like your journey of then realizing like how you're ugandan yeah. and this for me it actually op- happened the other way like mm. i always grew up so ugandan like my dad made sure we traveled uganda like i love uganda mm. but now that i'm growing up and learning more about what the baganda did my ancestors and things like that i'm beginning to identify and even accept like before i never used to openly or happily say I'm a Muganda. I even mm. felt some kind of shame around mm. it. I guess that comes from school and things like that. Mm. But now... So yeah, I, colonialism yeah. as well. <laughs> so the more you read into colonialism and you understand that we... I feel like if we stayed 
um, if I identified more with my ethnicity more than being Ugandan, I think I would even <laughs> like it more as opposed to like, how then do you um, identify as Ugandan yet the things that make us who we are like our, like my tribe has a lot to do with my mannerisms, you know, mm. um, like mm. I don't want that's that is part of my identity when you say yeah I'm not a stereotypical Muganda woman again because my experiences I exist in a multiple thingy but like it is part of our identity when you even look at like Ugandan Luo and Kenyan Luo they have similarities mm. because mm. they're Luo like mm -hmm. it's not because they're Ugandan or because yeah. they're Kenyan I mean Sidi grew up here and she really she feels like yes I am a mchiga and she you know, <laughs> I have to find something because when you're being denied left right and center you're like okay you go back to what daddy says yeah. yeah it's the same thing even in sexism yeah. where I see a lot of women as like with as we're like you know we're feminists and we're trying to we're fighting for women empowerment mm. there is still power in accepting that you're a woman like I'm mm. um, accepting the the power we have as women and not trying to be uh you get I'm what like i mean better than <laughs> uh, yeah like um so like where i don't know that balance like because we especially with intermarriages going on in uganda a lot mm. of us i know a lot of kids can can speak their language and mm. i think that's a problem Mm. because mm. they should mm. be able to speak at least one local language because it's going to die out mm. you know um so mm. where is the conversation for that you think in terms of our generation because we're intermarrying like we're going across intercultural marriages way more than our parents they still say those things of eh, i think <laughs> mm. yeah or being surprised like you know she married a Buganda, but <laughs> yeah it, like, like these days, I see a lot of weddings between like people from the north and from the west. I think that was unheard of in my cousin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true. yeah, that, wow. I, I, it's one of those things that that I'm really trying. To, I'm still trying to figure out myself. Um, like being able to maintain that balance, especially now that we're going more into like decolonizing and things like that. Mm. But I, I've been I've been reading a book about um, Kabaka Mwanga mm. and it, it describes the kinds of relationships that like the different nations in Uganda had with each other colonialism and it was very much like similar to now <laughs> like there was a lot of movement back and forth contrary to what we think that they were laws eh? there mm. was a lot of um, trade um, even marriage, um, sometimes it was, of course, very violent through wars where they would go and just like steal women and bring them. <laughs> but anyway, um, but you know, those things were happening. In, in, interacting with each other is not new. I think that um, if we are interested in maintaining this colonial project called Uganda, <laughs> like yeah. if we're interested in moving it forward, we have to, of, of course, like that starts with being able to identify with your own people. But you also have to move past that um, mm -hmm. and, and be able to recognize other people as being as Ugandan as you. Like other Ugandans also mm -hmm. deserve education and health mm -hmm. and, you know, to also be able to live and to enjoy this country. Like it's not just your people who deserve nice things. I think yeah. that that's what that's that's the kind of 
attitude that I would like for us to have, like for us to have like a more egalitarian view towards each other. I am very yeah. much a like I'm a very proud Mnyankole. I can speak the language, read it, and I'm very grateful to my parents who like insisted and I grew up in Boganda. So they for for them to teach me my language was very deliberate. Like I literally had to sit down with my mother and learn how to write Rinyankole, speak <laughs> like everything. Mm. And you know, they, they thought that was important, but it was also important for me to learn Luganda, to interact with other people that I was mm. with, and not to just only have my 10 Banyangole friends. Yeah. And like, because it's, it, I mean, it's not realistic for you to live in this country and then to act like other people don't exist, only to <laughs> treat them with, with respect, like all the time, just constantly denigrating them. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think that there is there is a way to do it, and it's not even strange. Like our ancestors were getting along with each other; they fought, <laughs> but they also got along. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you remember like a tidbit of history of Kabaka Mwanga working with Omukama Kabalega to yeah. fight yeah. the British. Yeah, it's not because they didn't meet in the guerrilla war; they had been like interacting with each other way before that. So it's not like it's very strange or it's very new, and it's not like it's impossible. I mean, I think that it's something that we can do because it's just a matter of recognizing the other people as human beings as well. Yeah, I think my yeah. own experience with that recognition of other people, as well as you talked of access to resources. I think classism for me was a big thing. Like I, I grew up in privileged middle class, you know. But yeah. the way my dad raised me, my dad he grew up like poverty. So mm-hmm. when by the time we came around, he made sure that. Um, so you got those stories about how he walked to school with us. I got that story up to now, but even beyond the stories. He made sure, like, we would spend weeks, you know, with people. You talk to people. And then even my own experience as I grew up as an adult, you know, you're in Kampala. You start, you know, getting out of meeting people only at um, Bandali and meeting some Mm. other people in, like, different classes and seeing the reality of the situation. Like, you know, before it's easy to be like, ah, those people are poor. That's what people will say, you know. But then once yeah. you get to talk to them and you understand these people have hustle, but the system mm. is just not affording them access to these resources. And then you're yeah. like, eh, but who am I? Like, who do I, who am I to think that I'm the only one who should, you know, yeah. live this, this, this certain kind of way and stuff like that. Mm. But have you had an experience with like, what's your experience with classes in CG? <laughs> I was waiting for this topic, honestly. <laughs> Um, this would, uh, (laughs) this is like the one thing that I find is probably more frustrating for me when I'm in Uganda or even within the UG community than, um, you know, the whole tribalism thing because of, yeah, my dad, like, I feel that people have just automatically always had these assumptions about me or treated me a certain way because of my dad's profession. And I, I, I just, it, it's, it's almost like I've had shame in so many different ways of even like saying my last name, you know, like going to Uganda, literally, I remember there was a time that my older sisters and I were walking, <laughs> we were walking away from my, 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 my uncle's home. Um, 
and because we pretty much wanted to go partying and like you know we weren't allowed to so we were like escaping and hopefully he doesn't hear this and jumping (laughs) (laughs) and the police came first of all seeing police in like like army style trucks and everything like it was so new i know for me though in canada that's not normal right so i'm like yeah oh my god this is so intense not realizing that's the norm that was number one it was dark we now we were with my cousin's bodyguards so we're okay but then they asked they stopped and they started asking us who's your dad who were you guys from and everything and my sisters were trying to like answer whatever i'm like I'm like, just say any, like, not common name, but a name where it's not my last name because not, like, my name isn't common, even, like, within, like, Mulera. You, you barely hear that name, right? Like, Kemigisha, for example, or Mugisha, you can hear those names. But Mulera, probably, not Mulera. Oh, yeah, Mulera. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I just find that whole thing of people just... You know, like, I don't, I don't want to. And it's, I'm, again, trying to work through that to be like, it's okay. But I just, I want people to know me for me as an individual. But, but don't you realize that that's hard to do? Like, it's like the way a white person, mm-hmm. like for me, I had, I, we've talked about this. I had shame around it as well, mm-hmm. you know. But then I realized that I was like, I get it, like, like I meet bare white people who are nice and we become friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. But because of their access, like when I meet a white man, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like you come up to me as a white man. <laughs> like that's what it is. And yeah. and I may get to know you and you may be nice and we may become we are, we're gonna be friends and stuff like that. But because of like not my own experiences, Whiteness. but also what white man <laughs> is, I'm going to take you as a white man. And then that's how like in terms that's why I kept quiet about it. Mm. And I said let me concentrate on being Belinda. Because the Yeah, fact is, but then it's still... Yeah, but like, you can't ask people. Like, you can't No, ask... but that's different. Yeah. Someone who's white, you see it, there's the whole stereotype. Your name so is, now... is what being white in Uganda. Yeah, but I think... But I'm just saying, I think it's ridiculous. To me, I think it's the most ridiculous thing. And I would rather just that not be a thing, personally. Because of my personal experience. Or even just... Not just that name. Now, even my uh, like my cousins. Like, I'm not gonna say their names too. But the same thing. It's like, oh, but you're don't you now think that's just... part of recognizing privilege. The fact that it is. But I'm saying how it makes me feel and how oh. I do not like that. Like I think that goes that's back my to remember like it. what she was saying, like the Banyankole thing, mm. where you just have to be like, okay, they're talking about. You get what I mean? Like. If they're attacking, like, sorry, Ophelia, I think you're like, what the hell? <laughs> no, like, this is an interesting like, conversation. Um, if they're like, um, like she said that she knows she's a Mnyankole. She knows she gets certain, like, um, things. But when they say, like, oh, Mnyankole still, she's just like, ah, you know what I mean? I get it. But like, <laughs> I'm sorry, being, having to deal with being Black women there's classism tribes like in, mm. in so many different ways or let, let's talk about another thing too being a believer i've had even experiences of that the stereotypes the you know or like if you're not like this so i just feel like in so many different boxes or labels when people are rejected or stereotyped based on such things i mean yeah we can recognize it or whatever but i'm saying personally it's happened too much in my life in so many different areas that i'm like I'm being honest. I it actually 
bothers me more than the tribalism, but more than being black, it's a classism thing. I don't feel like I can even live or be comfortable in Uganda as myself because of it. I also, I agree, like, it's definitely one of the reasons I left Uganda. Like, mm. I, I was like, yeah, and it's a privileged decision to make to be like, I'm out because you know True. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, but then I, I, for me personally, I still feel like, I guess because of the, the realities I've seen of like other people, I'm just like, you know what? Ah, I, I'm going to do what I can do. Like we talked about with the podcast. I was like, I'm going to do what I can do with my privilege. And I think that's something we can also recognize, you know, where it's like, mm. yes, but think about this. If you grew up in a country like where you were every day, you were recognizing that you're different. You're now trying to find home. Right now you go to Uganda to find home, but yet you don't find that yeah. home because of those things. So I'm just saying it's different. It's easier if you haven't been experiencing the same like obvious tr like differences, right? People yeah. won't know automatically where you're from in Uganda unless this plus this. Yes, Here sir. in Canada, yeah. they will know I'm a black woman from time. It's there's no erasing it. So being like you know the formative years of of growth, right? As a child, to have my spirit damaged based on my race from that age, and to now try to find my identity, and now that's a thing like. It ain't easy. It's going to take some time before I can get to your level of recognizing it, owning it almost. Right now, mm. I'm not in that space. Yeah. <laughs> I recognize that. I think I also, like, it, again, it's the difference with growing up in Uganda and then mm -hmm. having grown up here. Because even in Uganda, I, I remember, like, my northerner friends, they mm -hmm. were made fun of before they even spoke because mm -hmm. everyone could tell they're from the north, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I think seeing those things all also, like, I mean, I existed, I also just understanding like the Ugandans who have grown up in Uganda and they've hustled, they've watched their parents hustle and nothing has ever, like they're still none, like life is just not working for them simply because they're in Uganda, like nothing else. If they were in a different place, they would have access to their resources. They would this, I think it helped me understand it. So I see what you mean that your experience is different mm -hmm. because you grew up here and home uganda for you is supposed to be a safe space mm -hmm. and we i don't get i'm not privileged in canada because my dad's a doctor because i'm black still i'm a woman still you know yeah like and then you're my, not privileged here but then back home you're facing the effects of privilege if i should say yeah it's just too much <laughs> but anyway it's a lot the only place you'll be is where you create your own space yeah. as a woman yeah you're gonna go be like, ah, you're a woman mm -hmm. eh, 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 because, yeah yeah what is your what is your take of failure this whole <laughs> you've been listening to <laughs> yeah. us go back. i've been i've been a drink being a listener again <laughs> It's like I have like front, need like front front tickets for can we talk? This is me and CJ going back. Uh, I love it. Um, anyway, I think that I mean classism is really, it's it's really interesting hearing um, CJ's experience with it. I think that it's. I mean, you know, we're we're living in this really strange strange time where things are just like upside down maybe it's just me but things mm. go upside down for me a lot these mm. days um 
I think that there is just like this again, like this. We have to like move past, mm. like the personal to the structural because mm. classism is basically just like the like entrenched hatred of the poor. Mm. Like just because life hasn't worked out for you, you just like you know everywhere you go, you're just treated very poorly. Yeah, and I'm sure I remember like in primary school, Belinda, here's primary school here. Mm. <laughs> uh, this Mm-mm. this thing that we used to talk about of the cycle of poverty, where you're poor because your parents were poor and your grandparents were poor and your children are going to be poor. Yeah, so they tell you are... that every time. <laughs> yeah, wow. so people who are stuck. Why are people like that? You don't remember our primary. It's just abuse, you guys. Man. If I know your parents, continue sleeping. Uh, <laughs> if you know I don't know your parents, you better wake up and go to prep. <laughs> so people are, people are stuck in this rut. And you know, there is also this, I think that for many of us who are, I guess, whatever middle class is in Uganda who have some access, I think that our parents have, have sold us this dream, this American-like dream of, like, if you work hard, if you go to school and whatever, you will lift yourself from one level to another. You see me, I lifted myself. And that's true. And they did. <laughs> but it's also true that more and more, like, the more we move into this very, like, westernized, capitalistic kind of way of life, that, that thing becomes less and less possible you know um more and more if you have access you have access and if you don't have access you don't have access and more and more the bootstraps thing doesn't work like people don't have boots so they have no bootstraps to pull themselves up by Mm -hmm. um and i think that a lot of the time we, we we do this thing where we either pretend that poor people don't exist mm-hmm. or we just like treat them badly yeah. or we ignore um, when bad things happen to them because they are not us, like because they are not our friends or they are not in our OG group or, you know, like we allow the things to happen um, until like it's very, very, very close, like your cousin. And you're like, oh my God, like it's not fair. <laughs> yeah. And that's when you see it. And yet I think that classism is, like a level it's 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 a kind of oppression that intersects with every other oppression with every other kind of oppression and a lot of the time exacerbates whatever kind of other oppression that you're suffering so yeah i'm always complaining about how men treat us badly whatever whatever but the truth is that i don't experience patriarchal oppression in the way that poor women do yeah um, that's something i, also I don't see. experience homophobia wow. in the way that poor poor queers do mm-hmm. i do you know like there is like there is that that's like the thing that will really like make whatever condition you're in so much worse and if you have access you can navigate some of these other operations mm. better than right. a person who doesn't have that access that's true and so i think that that's like where the <coughs> that's where we are we have to like that's the thing that we most of us fail at and i'm not even going to like exclude myself and say i'm some angel mm-hmm. <laughs> because i mean we'll sit in the air-conditioned bedrooms and talk about things without even thinking of like people who are not us and if even when we do it when we try to so-called um you know get into the empowerment thing most of the time we are talking down at these people most of the time we think we are trying to save them 
Mm-hmm. We don't think of them as human. We dehumanize them even yeah. in our in our so-called efforts. Oh, we do it feel good about ourselves, and yeah. we don't actually care. Mm. And I think that this is the thing that I have really had to like interrogate the most for me, because it really it comes into whatever you do, like the things that you that you do, especially the things that you that you think that you're doing for social justice your classism will show up there yeah. in ways you didn't even expect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. And you'd be like, wow, I'm a terrible human being. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that my, <laughs> like my experience with classism has been like really realizing, and especially the infantilizing, like, mm. like when I realized this thing and said to look like to step back and think and look at the ways that poor people have like the, the, the ways that they are resilient, the ways that they survive, the ways that they support each other. Yeah. I have so much to learn from them than mm. I have to teach them. Right. And I, like, I'm not even like going to show up like, oh my goodness, guys, um, now that I'm here, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it doesn't work like that. Um, so I think that we need to really like, interrogate our internalized hatred of the poor our internalized th- feeling of like all poor people are terrible or they are thieves or they are da- like all these mm. things that we have to say to other them and like i said in the tribalism conversation to really like look at them as human beings and <laughs> and yeah like yeah, yeah. Um, i don't know if some of that made sense no it really <laughs> did it really did yeah um as we come <laughs> towards the end, um, we're now, well, the conversation on sexism, I mean, we're women, we've all, I'm sure sexism is, is a big thing for us, but I just want to talk about it in line with what you've just talked about. I think a lot of times the conversation regarding feminism and sexism is had with regard to our class of women. Mm. In your experience, and I feel like, for example, in Uganda, I'm sure more than 60% of the women are not in our class that we're trying to, mm. so as much as we're trying to be like you know oh, empowerment in Uganda what do you th- like do you think there's a way forward in Uganda in terms of social justice for women but with access like for people that's accessible to people of the lower class like that's not classist yeah or that's just um, lying to ourselves. Like, cause I see, I feel like Ugandan feminists are doing the work. Like mm. the conversations are being hard, the execute, like actual execution and stuff is happening. But I feel like in terms of how change in the system can be made. Mm. I mean, someone mm. last time, ah, I think it was the thing like you invited me to where they were talking about how there are more women people in parliament now. But there's really mm-hmm. nothing much like that really should. to show for it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a conversation that I am also having with myself, and I'm still thinking about. I I don't. I can't believe that I know the answer. But I think for me, what has been um, instructive is to realize that women are always resisting. Women have been resisting. I'm not the first woman to resist the system. I'm not, and I'm not even bringing anything like fundamentally new to the conversation. Mm. <laughs> um, women have been resisting in the ways that they see fit, and sometimes the ways that they that they resist don't look familiar to us. And we may 
dismiss them or not understand them or even ignore them or not even know that they exist. But women have been resisting. So I think that the the ways to the way to fight oppression is to meet like to find the women whom we want to fight with where they are. Mm. You know, like it's it's it can't be like a top down approach. Um Frey talks about that thing of um you know the oppressed like you can't talk down to the oppressed. The oppressed know the no oppression better than you. Right. Who is not as oppressed as them. Yes. So you can't show up and just be like, oh guys, you're oppressed. It, they know. I can assure that <laughs> many of them know. <laughs> Most yeah, of them know. know. <laughs> Most of them know. They've been being oppressed and they've been thinking about ways of resisting. And so I think that in it, it, I mean the future for me looks like supporting what they are doing. You know, mm-hmm. like um plugging into whatever it is is happening. Women in Nakawa market um, have like these committees that they form to fight sexual harassment in the market. So when you come with your little campaign and you put up your posters, eh? like, <laughs> you know, right like you're working, ba- you're working backwards. They've already created the system. They've created ways to report. They've, they've, they've created um, sanctions. They've been organizing and fighting for these kinds of systems to exist. So when you show up and just like, oh, guys, sexual harassment is bad. They know. <laughs> you know like this, I, I think that the biggest um, problem that, I've, that, that we have is this top-down thing that we want to do, to show up and, and save the day. That's yeah, really very colonial and very, and very, very weird. Because people, like wherever they are, are doing ways to survive, are, are finding ways to survive. Women have those women groups where they keep money under mattresses and give each other money to bypass their husbands, stealing it, or whatever. You know, mm. like people have, they have these ways of... So I think that initiatives uh, that we come up with have to be in, in conversations with them um, and also to like really just find the people that are doing the work because everywhere you go, I can assure you that there are people who are doing that work in all communities. There are women who are fighting in some um, you know, way, shape or form that you can work with or that you can just like support in some way and, and you know, create better opportunities for them to continue the work that they are doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, but also not to say that there's also a thing of that we do of like overly discounting our own problems of like being like, oh no, I'm not suffering in comparison to the woman in the Yes, yes. Oh my God, so good you brought that up. Like you have your own oppression to deal with and you have to find people who are dealing with that oppression and organize against it. And instead of constantly like assuming that there are some women elsewhere who are suffering much more than you and therefore your oppression. <laughs> you know, like, I think that all, this, all the struggles are valid. Like, we, we, you struggle where you are. Yeah. If you find someone who is struggling more than you, you help them up the way that you can. And then you continue to struggle. Like, this thing of, of wanting to constantly go around saving women wherever, wherever, yet your you own <laughs> sisters are in abusive relationships and you're not doing anything to support them. You know, you're not um, like getting involved in those kinds of struggles because you want to go and save the most suffering woman in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's really strange and actually extremely classist. Like you have this idea that you have the brightest because of your education. You're going to be the one who finds a bright idea. Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think the struggles are everywhere because all of us are all of us are bearing this patriarchal violence. Like no woman that I know is exempt, whether you're rich or poor. But there are ways for us to like struggle against it that are not not necessarily always always open an NGO and help women in a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I think that we have to organize wherever we are and like find ways to make our lives and other women's lives like bearable. Yeah. Ah, great. <laughs> As you were speaking, I wanted to say, um, or sorry, it reminded me of this. This is like a typical Uganda thing I always hear. You you tell someone something that you're going to, it's like, but that's for you or something that's for you. But what about me? And it all it goes back like, <laughs> and you're like, okay, at least you, <laughs> at least for you, yeah. But what about me? Yeah. You know. So it's I like how you yeah. brought that up. Like um, yeah. CG last couple tidbits. Um. Well, this conversation, first of all, was one of the ones I was really looking forward to because I felt like I would learn a lot. But eh, I didn't realize too during it. I was like, there's so much, you know, to learn more of and to unpack and to go through. But um, I really love your perspective and everything you shared. Ophelia, like it's really, I feel um, just based on this conversation, even what you were saying too about just the way that you've dealt with things when it comes to classism, I feel like very excited, you know, like we can do this, (laughs) our generation, we can do this as we have these conversations and learn more. I really, I have faith in our generation that these things won't be as heavy as they were for the ones before us. So, yeah. Ophelia, one, Thank you. you have last, last, last words. Um, I think my last words would be to thank you guys for this for this opportunity. I really love this podcast uh, for um, new podcasts, and I love Ugandan podcasts. So it was I was really excited when I found this one, and for having me, it was really wonderful, and I really appreciate. Uh, both of you sharing your souls with us. I know it's not easy. <laughs> I know it's work. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Thank you for yeah. recognizing that. <laughs> Thank you. It's not. <laughs> I'm sure you, you you actually you really got like. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Can We Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you wish to continue the conversation or stay up to date with what's happening here at Can We Talk, head over to the website at www.canwetalkpodcast.online. You can also check out the description box if you'd like to connect with us on Instagram. Until next time, let's keep breaking the silence.